stone slate get. The most important thing to prepare for winter was food. Unlike Japan, there weren't supermarkets open every day of every year. Barely any crops could be grown or harvested and the market would barely open due to the weather. If you didn't want to starve to death, you had to prepare ahead of time. Which is why I was currently sitting inside the back of a covered wagon between the loads of stuff packed into it. It all started when Dad woke us all up at the crack of dawn. All right, we're going to the farm today. Everyone ready? Um, no, of course not. What the heck's going on? I rubbed my sleepy eyes and glared at Dad, but Mom and Tully both nodded enthusiastically with big, happy smiles. I was the only one not understanding. Oh, right. Mine was sick when this was decided, so she might not have heard about it. Mom clapped her hands together and both Tully and Dad nodded in agreement. It felt like I was being left out and excluded from the rest of the family, which didn't feel great. I pouted a little, cheeks puffing out, but everyone started preparing. Immediately, they didn't seem to have the time to worry about me. Anyway, we need to keep warm. I remember you getting a fever last year, mine. Mom called out to me while carrying stuff down the steps. I was in the middle of changing clothes since, given that they wouldn't let me stay home. Alone, I had no choice but to go along with them. Why are we going to a farm in a far-off village, anyway? I had intended to walk at least part of the way to the village in order to build up strength, but I was so excessively slow that Dad got frustrated and put me in the wagon. There really wasn't any space for me, so I huddled into as small of a ball as possible. In the wagon, there were several barrels of varying size, plenty of empty bottles, string, cloth, salt, and wood. It was all important stuff for what we were doing at the farm, probably. Wait. Am I the most useless thing in this wagon? Dad was pulling the wagon from the front while Mom and Tully pushed it from the back. It kind of felt like I was being serious dead weight, which again made me feel bad. Um, Mom. Why are we going to a farm? There's no smokery in the city, remember? We're going to rent the one in the nearest farming village. We're going to smoke meat? That reminds me, we bought lots of meat at the market. But I feel like she already boiled or salted most of it. There's that much left? Shouldn't it be bad by now? Is this okay? I started counting the days on my fingers, worried, but mom just looked at me with exasperation. What are you even talking about? Today's pig day. We'll buy two pigs at the farm, split into groups to prepare them, and then share the meat. Wah. For an instant, my ears blocked what mom had said. There was a brief but clear time lag between me hearing that and the noise reaching my brain, and when it did, I started to tremble. P, 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 pig day? What? The day when we and our neighbors gather together, butcher a pig, salt it, smoke it, and make bacon, sausage, and all other sorts of meat. Goodness mine, don't you remember last ye, ah, uh, actually, you got a fever in the cart on the way. 
there. Honestly, I want to get a fever this year too. At least then I won't have to. Watch it happen. Mom, didn't you buy a lot of meat at the market a bit ago? You should know that wouldn't be enough. In fact, that was just extra meat. To supplement the pigs. I had thought she bought more than enough meat before, but apparently it was all just extra meat, not even the main event. I couldn't even imagine just how much meat was necessary to last the winter. In sharp contrast to my depression over being unable to avoid seeing pigs get butchered, Tully was wearing a bright, full smile as she pushed the cart. There's lots of fun stuff about today, we get to taste the meat in the middle of it, and there's fresh sausage for dinner, it's great. This is the first time you'll be helping, mine, but it's kind of like a festival everyone gets excited for. I'm glad we get to go together this year. Everyone? I blinked in confusion, and Mom replied with an expression that practically said don't ask questions with such obvious answers. Who would we do it with if not our neighbors? Butchering pigs is a serious job, it can't be done without at least ten adults. You, our neighbors, mine had a lot of vague memories, so there were definitely going to be a bunch of people who knew me that I didn't know. Not only would dealing with them be a pain, but we were going to be butchering a pig on top of that. Just remembering what I saw at the market was enough to make a chill run down my back. I don't want to go. What are you talking about? We won't have any sausage or bacon all winter. If we don't go. We needed the meat for the winter, so naturally they wouldn't turn around. Even if I said I didn't want to go, I had to participate, no matter how little I wanted to. I sighed, depressed, and soon our cart reached the southern gate of the outer wall. Wait, Captain? Aren't you late? Everyone else passed through a long time ago. Yeah, I figured. One of Dad's co-workers called out to him as we passed through the gate. Apparently, our neighbors had left for the farm a long time ago. Stay safe. A younger-looking guy who looked like he probably liked. Children waved at me, so I waved back. Polite decency was important in all. Things, were. The moment our cart rumbled out of the small tunnel that was. The southern gate, I let out a tiny cry of surprise. It was the first time I had left. The city walls since becoming mine. To be honest, I hadn't expected things to be. So different outside. First of all, there were no buildings. Inside the city was a tight, never-ending. Cluster of buildings, but the second we got outside of the gates, there was a wide. Road, with only about 10 to 15 shacks strewn about. On top of that, the air was nice. The more open the air, the more the smell of waste was diluted, I supposed, and for the first time in a long while I remembered that air could taste good. There were no tall walls to block all the smells inside. I looked around and saw a field of crops on one side of me and a forest of tall trees on the other. The scenery was impossibly tranquil, the very definition of idyllic. Mine, close your mouth. You're gonna bite your tongue off. Woo? Right after Dad's warning, the cart began rattling up and down even worse than it did in town.
The city road had shifted from cobblestone to a normal dirt road with mounds and hills. It was shaking so hard I thought all our stuff would fall out, but at least they had ropes holding them down. I was in the most danger of all since I wasn't locked down whatsoever. I clung tightly to the side of the cart for my own safety. This kind of road is the worst. On sunny days, they're super bumpy, and on rainy days they're a muddy mess. Learn how to make asphalt already. I spat. Angry complaints on the inside and soon felt Dad's feet up. We had arrived at the village. It was about 15 minutes away from the town gate, and after passing through the entryway, I could hear lots of people talking. Almost there. Butchering the pig was mainly a job for men. They had to hold down beasts. That looked like they weighed over a hundred kilograms, not to mention tie them up and hang them from their feet. It was a job that took a lot of strength. While they were doing that, the women would prepare the smokery, boil lots of water, and prepare salt and tools for preservation. By the time we reached the village, the butchering was already beginning. Those who didn't participate, naturally, didn't get any meat. Crap. It's starting. Effa, Tully, hurry, and take your places. Oh no. Run, Tully. Right. All three of them let go of the cart, grabbed wax-coated aprons made from some thick material, and put them on. Once Mom and Tully got theirs on, they rushed over to the smokery where a bunch of women already were. Dad put on his apron too and ran off after grabbing a spear, which was probably an important tool here. W.H. Everyone's so fast. My family had all ran off before I could even process what was happening. I could have run after Mom, but I wouldn't want to be standing around in a crowd with no idea of what to do. It was a yearly ritual for these people, so there were probably a ton of unspoken rules. If only I had a manual. Knowing that I just got in the way no matter what I did, I decided to wait in the cart until someone called for me. This is important work too, I told myself. While sitting on top of the abandoned cart doing nothing in particular. Unfortunately, however, Dad had left the cart right in the middle of the pig slaughtering field. There was a little distance between us, but I could clearly see the pig squealing in pain and fear while running away from its pursuers. There was a wooden stake driven into the ground, connected by rope to the pig's right hind leg. It fled in a circle around the stake while men chased after it, desperate to pin it down. I saw a familiar pink head in the crowd. Ralph and Lutz were definitely around here somewhere. Go get em. Hiya. Screaming out battle cries, Dad participated in the chase. He readied the spear with immense speed and then stabbed it right into the pig. That single strike was enough for the pig to start convulsing, legs twitching, before it stopped moving entirely. I let out a tiny shriek, but all the men let out a cheer at what had been done. Mom rushed forward with a metal bucket-looking thing and a somewhat long stick. Another woman brought a bull thing to the pig. A moment later, blood 
sprayed everywhere, dyeing several people's aprons dark red. Dad had probably pulled the spear out after the blood-gathering bucket and bowl were prepared. I held down my mouth and felt myself shake with terror, I couldn't see the pig due to all the women's aprons crowding around, but I could see how. Mechanically, the woman was gathering blood in the bowl and pouring it into the bucket. Mom furrowed her brows a little while firmly stirring all the blood being poured into her bucket. NGH. Mom looks really scary right now. Afterward, a bunch of people worked together to hang the pig upside down from a tree that had been prepared beforehand. The blood they hadn't managed to squeeze out of the pig began dripping down to the ground. The real butchering was about to begin, a man with a thick butcher's knife walked up and pressed it against the pig's stomach. That was the last thing I remembered. Before I knew it, I was in a stone building, not one I had seen in the village. I could see the ceiling since someone had laid me onto my back, but it wasn't my home ceiling. I blinked several times, still on my back, and then remembered what I had seen before passing out. It made me feel sick. But for some reason, something felt really familiar about the pig being butchered. What was it? Like, something being hung upside down, and then being cut apart. It was on the tip of my tongue, but it just wouldn't come out. If I had to. Yes, it wasn't one of mine's memories. It was one of my Ureno memories. I must have seen something similar in Japan. Ah. It looked like that fish I saw being hung upside down in a coastal Ibaraki market. From that perspective, I could understand why everyone was so excited about the pig. I remembered how excited people were to eat a fish that fresh. Well, I can understand, but it's still a bit emotionally rough for me. I mean, the fish didn't scream in pain like that. It didn't gush out blood. Ooh, so. Gross. I rolled over, holding my mouth, and fell right off what I was lying on. Ooh, I used my hands to stand up and look around, seeing immediately that I had been resting on a smallish wooden bench. There was a burning fireplace nearby, so it wasn't cold. But nobody was around, and I couldn't hear anybody talking. Oh right. Where am I, anyway? The moment I decided I needed to figure out where I was, a soldier peeked into the room, maybe due to having heard me fall. Oh. Finally awake, huh? Mr. Otto? I let out a sigh of relief, glad to see someone I knew. A stone building with Otto inside could only mean that I was in one of the gate's waiting rooms. My anxiety melted away after I learned where I was. That means you remember me, right? Otto looked visibly relieved that I remembered him. That made sense. I was a child on the outside, after all. He definitely thought that I would have started crying if I saw someone I didn't. No. I could never forget you. I mean, you're the first man of culture I've met in this world and my future teacher. How could I forget? I mimicked the chest-tapping salute, to which Otto laughed a little and rubbed my head. The captain rushed back here with you in tow. He said you 
collapsed in the cart. He'll be back as soon as he's finished with what he needs. To do. I didn't know how long it would take to butcher a pig, but they had to prepare. The meat afterward too, so I couldn't imagine it would be over soon. H.M. Thinking about it, Tully said we would get fresh meat for dinner. Yes. I'll be waiting here for a while, knowing that I would end up with plenty of spare time, I had put the materials I needed for faux papyrus into the cart, but they were out of my reach. What's wrong, mine? Feeling lonely without your mom and dad? No, I was just thinking about how I could kill some time. I shook my head and said what I was really thinking. Otto looked at me hard for a bit, then whispered, he did say she wasn't as young as she looked, and nodded to himself. I might have something that can help, mine. How about this? Wow. The slate. Otto held out the slate, he knew for sure we'd be passing by the gate today, so he had brought it with him to give to me. A man of culture that considerate about other people? Mr. Otto's such a great person. I need to go back and stand at the gate, but go ahead and practice this while. I'm gone. Otto wrote my name, mine, at the top of the slate before setting down the slate pen and a cloth. He then left the room. I hugged the slate with one arm and waved Otto goodbye with the biggest smile of my life before dropping my gaze back down to the slate. The best way to explain it was to call it a mini chalkboard about the size of an A4 piece of paper. A dark, thin stone set into a wooden frame. Both sides could be written on, and one of them had lines for practicing letters on. The slate pen was a writing tool specifically for slates, and although I could tell it was a thin stone from a touch, it looked entirely like a thin piece of chalk. The somewhat dirty cloth was a way to clear off the slate. It would probably do a good job, given how the letters Otto wrote got a little blurry just for me. Hugging the slate, ah, my heart's beating so fast. I put the slate onto the table and held the pen. Just gripping the slate pen like a pencil made my heart race. I started off by copying Otto's letters, none of which I recognized at all. I was so nervous writing the first letters of my second life that they all ended up twisted and shaky. If I were in Japan, I likely would have shaken my head and wiped them away immediately to try again. But it had been so long since I had seen letters that I couldn't take my eyes off them. I was so happied, I took a deep breath, exhaled, wiped the letters away with the cloth next to the slate, and tried again. Things went a lot better the second time. I wrote my name, erased it, wrote it, erased it. When I got bored of that, I wrote little poems and song lyrics in Japanese, then erased them, then wrote them, then erased them. Ha! Huh. This is bliss. I never would have thought that writing letters could make me so happy. Despite being near the furnace, the waiting room was so drafty that after spending hours playing with the slate and waiting for my family, I caught a cold in record time and ended up in bed with a fever. You still have a fever, mine, so stay in bed. No getting out. Okay. My parents busily walked around, in and out of the house, as they carried root vegetables into the winter storeroom. 
Tully was in the kitchen making jam. Out of fruit and honey that she had gathered herself. In this world, all it took was a sweet scent drifting through my home to make me happy. While they were in the middle of stashing away beer and the prepared pig, Tully brought me my soup lunch. I put aside my stone slate and took the whole tray from her. Sorry, Tully. Seriously. This is a real pain. Ah, uh, what? Didn't you promise not to say that? I never promised that. I mean. Okay, you didn't promise that. But isn't it still like, an unspoken. Promise? While everyone else was exhausting themselves preparing for winter, I was. Lying in bed and playing around with the slate Otto gave me, practicing my name. And having fun writing in Japanese. But I really wanted a book that would preserve writing permanently. If, writing some letters was all it took to get me this happy, I figured reading a book. Would make me absolutely ecstatic. I needed to hurry up and get healthy again. So I could make paper, beaten by ancient Egyptians. Tiny bits of snow began to fall here and there right as we were on the verge. Of finishing our preparations. Winter was coming, for real. During winter, our neighborhood would end up snowed in, and we'd generally spend all our time inside the house outside of especially sunny days. I normally spent all my time inside anyway like the shut and I was, so that wasn't really a problem for me. But there were no books in this world. Will I survive as a shut-in without any books around me? Blizzards often occurred when snow began falling, so we needed to keep our Windows and doors shut tight for warmth. We then stuffed somewhat thick rags into any cracks to block as much wind as possible. MGH, so dark. It's a blizzard, what did you expect? It caught me off guard that the only sources of light in our locked-up house were the furnace and our candles. It was the first time I had ever been inside a completely dark room in the middle of the day. It hurt to live without electricity. Even back in my Urano days, I had my phone and flashlights when typhoons knocked out the power, and usually it got fixed by the next day. Won't we all get depressed spending weeks in the dark like this? Hey, Mom. Is everyone's house this dark? Hmm. I believe those with a decent amount of spare money tend to have several lamps around their homes to light things up, but we only have one. Wah. We have a lamp and we aren't using it. I figured that it was best to use any light source we had, but mom just sighed and shook her head. We try to avoid using the lamp since we need to be frugal with oil. You wouldn't want to run out of candles if the winter drags on, would you? There was no argument against being frugal. Even my mom back in Japan did all sorts of things in the name of saving money. She would unplug the TV from the wall to save on the electricity bill and yet fall asleep with it still on. She'd cut off the water when brushing her teeth to save on water, but leave it on when washing dishes. In other words, my mom taught me the importance of self-satisfaction. I decided to take after my mother's frugal ways and see if I could finagle a way to get the room a little brighter. What are you doing, mine? I think this might make the room a little brighter. 
With a three-sided mirror's magnification properties in mind, I polished my dad's old metal gauntlets that he had apparently used in a past war and lined them next to the candle. Stop it, mine. It's harder to see now. They both immediately shot me down. Unfortunately, the gauntlets weren't flat slabs of metal, and the surface wasn't exactly the smoothest. The light reflected in all sorts of directions and shined in their eyes, making it harder to see their hands. Whoa, it didn't work. I wonder if there's something else I can use like a mirror. I would appreciate it if you would stop wasting our time. Mom shot me down with a firm tone, so I gave up on my light-reflecting strategy. But still, having diminished eyesight didn't feel that great, regardless of whether or not I had any books to read, so I took up camp right next to the warm furnace. Not long after that, Mom began setting up her loom near me. It wasn't a large machine like those I had seen in Japan, it was something a lot more fundamental. I had been wondering how one could weave cloth in a house this small, but it seemed there were looms small enough to do the job. Tully, since your baptism's coming up, there's a lot I need to teach you," said Mom before beginning to teach Tully all she needed to know about. Weaving Tully took a spool of thread in hand, looking deadly serious. You put the thread here, then prepare the weft. You weave the thread like this, using the thread she had dyed in the fall for this purpose, she started weaving the cloth. She wove the cloth, sewed it into clothing, and embroidered it. While she was at it, she prepared next year's thread from the wool she had bought. We only ever bought the base materials. No new clothes were sold where we lived, and even cloth was too expensive for most commoners to buy. That's right, just like that. You've got a knack for this, Tully. Mine, would. You like to try too? They say that no beauty doesn't know how to sew. Wah. Beauty? That's right. Creating clothes for your family is important, both practically, and to show off to the neighbors. You can't be a true beauty if you're not good at sewing and cooking. Ah. Uh, I'm definitely not gonna grow up into a beauty, then. And I mean, I can understand all that being important for a good wife, but what do cooking and sewing have to do with being beautiful? I was used to clothes just being something you bought at a store. Go to the store and you'd be surrounded by clothes with all sorts of varying designs. I never was very interested in them, just wearing whatever I thought would get me through something without getting yelled at, but even so, my closet ended up packed with clothes. At the very least, I never wore hand-me-downs that had to be sewed up. Sewing was just something I did a few times in school, and those times I just used an electrical sewing machine to finish in no time. The best I could do with needles was reattach a fallen button. To say it outright, expecting me to consider making thread, weaving cloth, and sewing clothes for the family over winter as some important thing was just asking too much. I could say with confidence that I would never, ever care that much about it. I'd never feel motivated to do it. Though I would sew until my hands fell off if I could use the cloth as parchment. You don't want to join, mine? 
MMM, maybe next time. Tully wanted me to join, but I really just did not want to sew anything. Mom was teaching Tully since she wanted to become an apprentice seamstress, but in my case, I lacked the height, hand size, and of course, motivation. Teaching me would be a waste of time. Okay, Mom. Please make my special dress. I'll make baskets. Certainly. Leave it to your mother. I'll make you the prettiest, most wonderful dress you've ever seen. Mom, confident in her sewing skills, spoke with eager enthusiasm. Every season, all children turning seven gathered at the temple wearing their best clothing. It was the perfect opportunity for a mother to show off her talent. In some ways, it was like a competition for mothers. My own mom began preparing the warp with a smile on her face, using thread much thinner than what Tully had been practicing with. That thread looks really thin. Mom gave me a conflicted smile as I thought about how long it would take to make cloth with that thread. Well, her baptism is in the summer. Can you imagine how hot it would be without thin clothing? You're making her dress in the winter even though her baptism is in the summer? Won't she get bigger by then? There was a lot more food and time to play around in the summer, so I figured most kids would grow a lot during it. What would happen if she grew too much and the dress ended up too small for her? I can make little changes to it, so that won't be problem. My main worry is that you're so much smaller than her, mine. You might not be able to wear the same dress. Fixing it that much will be quite the ordeal. I wonder what I'll do. Next year? Oof. That does sound rough. Good luck, Mom. Mom resumed weaving the cloth using the thin thread, which looked harder. To work with than the wool thread they made earlier. Tully began making baskets. To sell. Since my eyes had adjusted well enough to the dark, I decided to start. Making my own faux papyrus, as my first giant step to accomplishing my dreams. If I can just weave these plant fibers together, I'll definitely end up with something like paper. I won't lose to ancient Egyptians. Let's do this. I put the fibers on the table and thought back to the coasters I had been forced to make back in my Urano days. First, I would try to make a piece of paper about the size of a postcard. I got to work vertically and horizontally weaving the fibers that were much thinner than the thread mom was sewing with. I lacked money, skill, and age. This was a duel I had to win with guts, determination, and more guts. Woo, they're all so thin I can barely tell them apart. Fiddle fiddle fiddle. Fiddle, ah, I messed up. Fiddle 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 fiddle. The fibers were so thin it wasn't easy to fix any mistake I made. It all just fell. Apart. Frustrated, I continued my duel with the thin fibers, and eventually Tully stopped making her basket to peer over my shoulder. Hey, mine. What are you doing? H.M. Making, faux papyrus. Tully looked back and forth, between me and my hands. It was written all over her face, that she hadn't understood what I just said. M.M.M., you can't tell by looking? 
I haven't even finished a one inch wide square yet, so that's fair. Not even I can tell if this is actually going to end up as good faux papyrus. Mom, continuing to weave the cloth, looked at me fiddling with the plant fibers and sighed. Fiddle fiddle fiddle. Fiddle fiddle fiddle. Mine, if you have the time to play around, help totally make baskets. Instead. MMM. Maybe when I'm not busy. I wasn't playing around, and I didn't. Have the time to help Tully. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say I was the busiest I had ever been since starting my life as mine. Ah. I made another mistake. All because mom called out to me. Geez. Fiddle fiddle fiddle. Fiddle fiddle fiddle. Mine, seriously, what are you doing? I told you, making, faux papyrus. I didn't have the mental leeway to respond gently to Tully's question, so my tone ended up a little sharp as I focused everything on fiddle fiddle fiddle. I didn't hate working with my hands, and I was doing this because I wanted to. I just had to stay determined and keep going. Fiddle fiddle fiddle, fiddle fiddle fiddle. Um, mine. It's not getting any bigger. I know that. Tully's comment served as the spark that finally made me yell. In frustration. It took me a whole day just to get at the size of a fingertip. Please. Understand how I must have felt. Fiddle fiddle fiddle. Fiddle fiddle fiddle. The next day I relied on determination as well. Just keep going, I told myself. As I wove the fibers together. I can't let Tully's comments bother me. What's that even supposed to be? I can't, let them bother me, I can't let them bother me. Fiddle fiddle fiddle. Gah. It's coming apart. NGH, I just have to keep going. My heart will break if. I try fixing it. Fiddle fiddle fiddle. Hey, mine. That's it. I can't do it. Okay, ancient Egyptians, you win. I lose. Mentally. And emotionally exhausted, I clenched a fist around my faux papyrus and yelled. Out in frustration. The faux papyrus had ended up about the size of a tiny note card. I had no idea how many days it would take if I were to try weaving the fibers into the size of an actual piece of paper, while keeping them tight enough to actually write on. Naturally, it would be impossible for me to make enough faux papyrus to bind into a book at that rate. You could tell, just by touching my card-sized faux papyrus, that I had lost patience with it midway through. The center was tightly woven, but the closer you got to the outside, the more frayed it was. No way. Would it have ended up as paper I could write on? At best, it could be a somewhat messy coaster. Not even good enough to write memos on. Woo-woo. I failed. My papyrus plan failed so hard. The challenge involved in getting the materials, the difficulty of the creation process, and the overall time investment were all just too great for faux papyrus to be mass produced. Even if I finished that sheet of faux papyrus, it wouldn't lead to me making a book. Be quiet, mine. If you have the time to play with plants, weave some baskets. Baskets won't turn into books.
I don't know what you're talking about, but you failed, didn't you? Just start. Making baskets already. Mom was so mad that I gave up and started weaving baskets. It was a lot. Simpler to weave the basket parts together than the super thin plant fibers. Tully, I'll help you make baskets. Would you mind sharing your stuff? Here, I'll teach you. Tully offered to help with a smile while gathering. Materials for me, but I just took them and shook my head. It's okay, I already know how. Wah. Watching Tully blink in confusion out of the corner of my eyes, I started weaving a basket. I lined up the bamboo-esque, flat pieces of wood and delicately wove them together, making a tight basket with no gaps. This was really perfect timing for me, since I had been wanting a sort of takeout bag for a while. I decided to put my all into making the basket, partially to blow off steam after failing so hard with papyrus. After making a solid bottom, I calculated how to make the outside of the basket have a pretty design before starting to weave the rest of it. I kept weaving the pieces of wood, taking care not to hurt my hands, until the basket was done. It took me five whole days just to make a tiny chunk of faux papyrus, but I finished my tote bag within a day. That was pretty good, considering how clumsy my tiny child hands were. That's amazing, mine. I didn't know you were a natural at this. Maybe you should try to be an apprentice carpenter? Wah. That's a little. Mom's eyes beamed with joy, excited to see that her generally useless. Daughter had unexpected talent, but I had no intention of becoming an apprentice. Carpenter. I would work at a bookstore, library, or nowhere at all. Though it was a little problem that books were so rare that there were no bookstores or libraries. To hire me. NGH, why are you so good at this, mine? Tully compared her baskets with mine and slumped her shoulders, depressed at how much worse hers were. Don't worry about it, Tully. You just need to learn how to tighten the gaps and plan ahead to make patterns. I mean, the real difference here is just how much experience we have. Back in my Urano days, I had gotten wrapped up in my mom's arts and crafts kick where she folded newspaper advertisements and made baskets out of them. I had never expected that experience to be useful to me, but well, you never know where life will take you. I can't believe you're better than me, my knee. Oh no. Looks like I've really hurt Tully's older sister pride. Ah, uh, um. Right. Mrs. Gerda taught me while she was babysitting me. I've been doing this all the time while you're out at the forest. You did a lot of other things while I made baskets, so you're still better than me at almost everything. Really. I didn't have much experience with children, so I wasn't sure how to put her back into a good mood. I did my best to make up an excuse for why I was so good, but honestly, I wasn't even really sure what I was trying to say myself. Oh, okay. That's right. I wasn't sure what part of that convinced her, but... Tully looked a little relieved. Okay, then I'll make lots of baskets over the... Winter and get better than you, mine. Uh-huh. Good luck, Tully. I let out a sigh of relief, glad to see Tully feeling... Better. 
it would be a lot harder for me to survive here without Tully's help. If left. On my own, I'd be helpless. I'm so glad I cheered her up. Oh, Tully. You should force it into place a little more, it'll look better that. Way. Well. It's not like I'm that happy about being good at making baskets. I just want books. I watched Tully's basket weaving and gave her advice while glancing at my failed faux papyrus. If papyrus won't work, what should I try making next? Throughout the winter, I thought about what to do next while continually weaving baskets next to Tully. Egypt's no good, it's way too hard for a kid like me. What should I do if Egypt won't work? Well, thinking about it like a textbook, you usually study Mesopotamian culture before Egyptian culture. Okay, that's it. Cuneiform. It's time for clay tablets. Long live. Mesopotamian culture. I remember that even after the flames of war and arson, their clay tablets managed to survive. I'll make clay tablets, carve letters into them, cook them in a furnace, and that might just be that. Plus, making tablets out of clay will just look like a kid playing with mud. The adults won't suspect a thing. It's settled. That's what I want to do. Once the snow melts and spring comes, I'm making clay tablets, the sweet taste of winter. It's sunny. Dad, it's sunny. Come, wake up. Mine. Tully's excited voice rang through the dark bedroom and soon I was shaken awake. There had been harsh snowfall for the past few days, but upon waking up I saw dazzling sunlight streaming through the crack between our window doors. Woo! Long time no see, Sunday Tully jumped off the bed in excitement and threw open the window covers. Without a care in the world for how cold it would be. A blue sky free of clouds, stretched in all directions, and the snow-swept city gleamed beneath the sun. Look, the weather's perfect. You have today off, right dad? We gotta. Hurry. Yeah, yeah. Dad, after scrunching his face from the bright sun hitting him. Head on, jumped right out of bed. Everything following that happened fast. Tully and dad scarfed down. Breakfast, got some things ready, and then hurriedly dashed outside. I was just. Getting to the table as Tully went through the door, wearing as much warm clothing as possible. Bye-bye, mine, we'll come back with lots of peruse. I waved Tully goodbye while blinking in confusion. Um. The heck's a peru? I searched mine's memories and learned that it was a fruit that produced a sweet white drink that tasted really good. Tully said she'd bring some back, but I wasn't really sure how she planned to do that. Here's breakfast, mine. I need to go wash clothes. Those two will be bringing back perus for us, so I'll be busy all afternoon. Mom sliced up bread that I couldn't cut or break on my own and dunked it into soup, bread that had been baked until it was hard and black to prevent mold. And last night's leftover soup with a side of milk was our normal breakfast. Before I could even finish climbing onto my chair, Mom gathered up the dirty clothes that had built up over the snowstorm and left the house. I sat in the now silent kitchen and chewed away at my breakfast alone, 
Once done, I began. Making baskets, the only thing I had ever done that anyone complimented me. 4. Dad and Tully must have known when Mom would be getting home, as they got back with broad grins right after she finished preparing for lunch. Seemed like their mission had been a success. We're back, Mom, mine. We got three Perus. Welcome home, you too. That's fantastic. I have the dishes all set up and ready. Mom pointed to a particularly deep bowl and went to get an especially thin piece of dry wood from the storage room, the kind used to start a fire. Tully used it to start a fire in the furnace and then poked a peru over the bowl. The moment she did, the outer layer burst around her finger and thick, white juice flowed out. Wow, it smells so good. A sweet scent drifted through our home as the fruit juice slowly filled the bowl. I swallowed hard, it having been the first time I had smelled something sweet in a while. This was definitely the kind of thing that would give me good memories. Tully grabbed the bowl, making sure not to let any juice spill out, and Dad used the pressure weights to crush the juiced fruit. Perus are amazing, Tully explained to me. Their juice is super sweet and tasty, and you can get oil from them, even the leftovers can be used to feed livestock. We don't have any animals, so we take ours to Lutz's place and trade it for eggs. I bet a lot of people fight over them, then. Uh-huh. You can only find them in the snow on sunny days like this, so a lot. Of us in the city, go to the forest right away in the morning. Everyone wants as many as possible. But gathering them is really hard. Hard how? Tully poked a hole in the second peru with a thin stick and once again slowly poured the juices into the bowl. The only thing I could do to help was hold the bowl down so it didn't fall over. To pick peru from trees, you have to heat up the branch holding it to soften it, but you can't use any fire when up on top of the tree. The tree's special. Powers will poof the fire away. So you have to take off your gloves and warm it. With your bare hands. You have to take your gloves off in a winter this cold? That does sound. Rough. That was a one-way road to frostbite. Even if Dad and Tully took turns, heating up branches with your bare hands was just terrible work. You can't wait. Until noon to pick them? Won't it be better when it's warmer? Nope, nah, uh. You can only pick perus before noon. Tully handed the drained peru to Dad and picked up the third one. She poked another hole into it and began squeezing out the juice. Once noon comes and the sun rises, sunlight falls into the forest, and like, the peru leaves start shining, and the tree starts shaking, and the leaves all start making swishy-swashy noises. Air. The leaves shine, the trees shake on their own, and they make swishy. Swashy noises? What? Despite Tully's best explanation, I couldn't imagine that. At all. Once the leaves start making noises, the Peru trees start stretching toward the sun. They grow taller than the rest of the trees in the forest, and then they start shaking like a girl swinging her hair around. Like, rustle rustle, swish sway. 
they stretch and start swaying around? Uh-huh, right. The light hits its branches, while it shakes around, and all the fruits we couldn't gather shoot away, like pew. Once they're all gone, the Peru tree shrinks like it's melting, and then it's gone. They shoot away, and then the trees disappear. That's a weird kind of tree. That was really all I had to say on the matter. What a weird tree. My weak imagination wasn't enough to visualize that happening at all. Okay, done. Want to try a little? Tully poured most of the fruit juice into a jar, but left a little in the bowl. She drank two sips from it, then handed me the bowl. I took two little sips just like Tully did. A thick, sweet flavor filled my mouth. And on instinct, I grinned ear to ear. This. This is what happiness tastes like. It's like thick coconut milk. The moment I thought about drinking more, Tully said, we don't get a lot of this fruit juice, so we need to really, really, really treasure it. Don't drink it all at once. Okay, okay, I'll take it slow. Dad, are you going to squeeze this one too? Tully held up the cloth bag and peered inside of it. Yep, said Dad as he crushed the Peru bit by bit with the pressure weights. Peru oil could be used for cooking and in lamps, which made it kind of like olive oil. Tully, let me see. I peered into the bag from the side, wanting to see what Perus looked like after getting their oil extracted. Inside I saw what looked like Okara, which was a Japanese food made from soybean pulp. It smelled sweet. This stuff smells really sweet. Can you really not eat it? I stuck a hand into the bag and experimentally plopped some of it into my mouth. Mine. That's bird food. Tully hurriedly took the bag away from me and told me to spit the stuff out, but I just chewed it thoughtfully. The squeezed dry stuff was rough and not nearly as sweet as it smelled. Overall, I understood why it wasn't exactly considered good food for humans. But it definitely could be used like okara, in a good way. I took a bit of the stuff and dripped it into the fruit juice bowl to hydrate it a little. What are you doing, mine? I think it'll be edible if I do this. I'm telling you, that's bird food. It's not something for people to eat. I nodded and stuck some of it into my mouth. It was actually pretty good. If I mixed the leftovers with fruit juice, and ideally added some eggs and milk, I could probably make a good okara pancake. Uh-huh, it's good. It's not good. I pushed a bit of the Perot leftovers, mixed with fruit juice, into Tully's mouth. At first, she yelled, what are you doing? But after a bit, she started chewing with a conflicted look on her face. Okay, let's go. Tully and I left to go to Lutz's house. It was the sixth floor of the house. Directly across from ours in the circular cluster of buildings that made up our neighborhood. I did my best, climbing up and down two sets of stairs, in order to trade the leftovers of two perus for eggs. It was pretty rough climbing the six floors to his place after climbing down the five from mine. I'll make a faux pancake for them after the trade. Ehehe. Excuse me. Lutz, here. 
We'll trade you these for eggs. I held out the bag with a full smile, but Lutz just frowned a little. We've already got enough animal feed. Got any meat instead? My older brothers keep stealing all of mine. Everyone spent a lot more time inside during the winter, so it was more likely for them to steal his food. Lutz grumbled about being hungry all the time. Tuli just gave a sympathetic smile and said it's hard to fight back when they're so much bigger, but really, it was hard to describe how bad it felt to be hungry all the time. I held the bag out, planning to help solve his problem. Okay, Lutz. Why not, just eat this? Who would eat bird food? His reaction was as expected. Nobody around. Here ate it like Okara. It's edible if you make it right. Huh? It's only inedible, cause you squeeze all the juices out. They taste really good. If you make them properly, even the leftovers. Lutz looked at Tully in disbelief. He was definitely thinking that there was. Nobody in the world who would eat bird food. Seriously? You're just being wasteful. Sure, you could eat the Peru and be done, but it's way more efficient to use them to make juice, oil, and bird feed. Nobody wastes the fruit by just eating them on the spot. I can't believe anyone would work so hard to get the fruit and just eat it without using it properly. There's nobody dumb enough to do that in this whole town, mine. Except you, I guess. Um. I didn't eat the fruit itself, though. Maybe that's just the only way he can understand? I put a hand on my chin and thought about Lutz's harsh rejection. You have enough bird feed now, right? Then the best thing is for we humans to eat it. Like I'm saying, the leftovers are so dry nobody would eat them. They only get so dry because people squeeze as much oil as possible out of them. If you put a little work in, they're fine to eat. Mine, you know, Lutz showed no sign of changing his mind, no matter what. I said. I'd need to use a little force like I did with Tully, to change his mind. He. Would definitely understand after eating them. I clenched my fist with resolve, ready to execute my plan, when all of a sudden, Tully weakly hung her head, and. Spoke. Um, Lutz. I know it's hard to believe, but they really are edible. It, um, it tasted so good it kind of shocked me. Wait, seriously? She made you eat bird food, Tully? Lutz looked at Tully with eyes full of sympathy. That's rude, she said it tasted good. I think you just need to taste it for yourself. Do you have any fruit juice left over, Lutz? I walked into Lutz's house and put some of our leftovers into a nearby bowl. I then mixed it with about two teaspoons worth of Lutz's share of the fruit juice. After a brief taste test, I nodded to myself. It did indeed taste good. Open wide, Lutz. Likely due to having seen me eat some, Lutz timidly opened his mouth. I placed the juice mixed leftovers into his mouth. He closed his mouth, chewed a bit, then opened his eyes wide in surprise. See? Sweet and tasty, isn't it? I puffed out my chest with pride, ehe, ing. 
to myself when all of a sudden Lutz's older brother stopped just watching. Suspiciously from afar and instead swarmed down upon us. Sweet? Tasty? Seriously? Let me try some, Lutz. His older brothers all jammed their fingers into his small bowl. No matter how hard Lutz tried to hide the bowl or run away, they were just too much bigger than him. Not only could he not run away, he couldn't even dodge them. Hey, let go. Don't pick me up. What kind of older brother would steal his? Little brother's stuff? Your stuff is my stuff. Share your tasty food with everyone, Lutz. All right. I got it. Lutz's resistance was futile. His three older brothers held him down and stole. The whole bowl. They all jammed their fingers in, and in moments, it was empty. If his every meal ended up like this, I could understand why Lutz would. Complain. Aya. My Peru. Tasty. Is this really bird food? Lutz's older brothers completely ignored his cries and looked at me, eyes. Opened wide in surprise just like Lutz's were. This might be my chance. I could make something even better here. For real? They all took the bait. Despite how disgusted they had all looked at the idea. Of eating bird food, they were now on hands and feet asking for more, likely do. To hunger. Ah, but I might need some help. Since I'm so weak and all. All right, leave it to me. Lutz enthusiastically flexed his arms. Seeing that, his older brothers all rushed forward and pushed him out of the way. You're not getting it all for yourself, Lutz. We'll help too, mine. Yup, yup. I'm a lot stronger than Lutz. Yay. Okay, I want you three to get a metal pan ready for baking. Lutz can. Get the ingredients ready and Ralph can mix them. Oh, and it wouldn't be fair to. Just use Lutz's juice, so let's all use a little bit of everyone's. Come on, let's see. The juice. No hiding, I clapped my hands together while giving Lutz and his brothers cooking. Instructions. I was too small and weak to do much, so it was up to these hungry young men to do the work for me. Lutz, would you get two eggs and some milk? Ralph, mix them together. With that spatula over there. Zasha and Sieg, heat the pan in the furnace. Lutz prepared the ingredients for me as I put them one by one in the bowl. Ralph began mixing them with the wooden spatula. Zasha and Sieg behind us. Got the metal pan and heated it up in the furnace. Okay, that should be good. Lutz, do you have butter? Lutz held out some butter, which I scooped with a spoon and put onto the metal pan after climbing onto a somewhat tall chair. The butter sizzled on the pan and melted, filling the air with a nice smell. I then used a big spoon to pour the batter Ralph had mixed in the bowl. It hissed, cooking, and the butter scent was joined by the sweet smell of a Peru. Since I was using the Okara-esque leftovers in place of wheat, it ended up baking into more of a flat cookie than a pancake, but it was still basically what I had expected, and that's how you do it. Would you all work together to make more? 
After showing them how to make one, I got off the chair and let the tall older brothers take care of everything. They had figured out what to do already, so they immediately borrowed the cooking tools from me and started making their own. When they get bumpy, that means they're ready. You should turn that one over. Now. Right. Zasha flipped it over and I saw that it was cooking nicely. I heard. Everyone swallow hard. Move this one over there. You can cook another one in the open spot. Once. It had cooked well enough, he moved it aside and poured more butter and batter. In its place. After I checked to make sure they were cooked properly, we moved them from the pan to a plate, stacking one on top of the other. Ta-da! Simple Okara pancakes, I held the plate and puffed out my chest. With pride, ihe ing once again, but my words must not have gotten through, given how Lutz was looking at me. Wah! Say that again? Um. Simple peruka keys, the steaming hot peru cakes were lined across the table, wafting off a sweet scent and looking super delicious. Go ahead and eat up. But be careful, it's hot. I took a bite and chewed. Slowly. The peru cake was so tasty it honestly shocked me. It was surprisingly fluffy and wasn't coarse or dry at all, unlike the bird food. Probably due to the Peru fruit juice inside, it tasted plenty sweet even without jam or anything. Hey, Lutz. These were pretty simple to make, right? And don't they fill you? Right up? They do. Mine, I dunno what to say. You're amazing. Since tons of people came to Lutz's house looking to trade for eggs, they had plenty of Peru leftovers, and thanks to their birds, they had as many eggs as they wanted. They could trade eggs for milk, too, so they could make Peru. Cakes all winter. Now you'll be able to spend the winter with a full stomach. Yep. Let's fit into his Peru cake happily. As I watched him eat, several recipes that used Okara passed through my head. I know of some other ways to use Peru leftovers, but I'm too weak to make them myself. I'll make them for you if you just teach me how. Now that you've taught me about food this good, you're kind of like a god to me, so yeah. I've got your back, mine. That event served as the beginning of me having Lutz and his brothers make recipes for me that required arm strength. I taught them the recipes and taste. Tested the results. Lutz and his brothers ate the food and got full. It was a nice give-and-take relationship. Helping out Otto. In this city, the people go to gather perus on sunny winter days. Dad and Tully went together last time since it was his day off, but this time, he had work. I thought for sure we'd just give up on them, until I saw Mom grabbing her. Coat. I'll be going with Tully today. There were plenty of ways to use Peru and our family wanted as many as possible since I was pretty useless when it came to anything involving going. Outside, I wanted to at least show emotional support. Good luck, Tully. You can do it. I believe in you, Mom. The problem with Mom going with Tully to the forest, however, was what to do with me. 
I was weak, sickly, and generally dead weight. They wouldn't bring me to the forest, knowing I'd end up better than with a fever. But they couldn't leave me alone, either, as they had no idea what I would do if left to my own devices. It hurt to hear that, but to be honest, they weren't wrong. Dad, after falling into thought for a bit while preparing for work, suddenly clapped his hands together. I've got it. Mine, how about you wait at the gate? With me, Dad would take me to the gate. Mom and Tully would go gather perus in the forest. On their way back, they would pick me up at the gate and take me home. We would get our perus, and I wouldn't be left home alone. Everybody wins. That's an excellent idea. Okay, Tully. We're leaving mine with Gunther. Right. See you later, mine. Mom, congratulating Dad on his idea, quickly prepared her things and left. With Tully in no time. They had to leave fast since you could only gather perus. Before noon. All right, ready to go? The gates wait and dot. Wheel, it'll be a nice change of pace from home, I guess. And Otto can. Teach me some new letters if he's there, so. Honestly, I had gotten tired of spending all day at home. Having failed at. Making faux papyrus, the only thing I could do at home was play with my slate. Or make baskets. Never in my life had I expected that I would end up with so. Much spare time. Books had been the only thing saving me from a life of. Boredom. Incidentally, the song Haruyo, Koi, Come Forth, Spring, has been playing. Non-stop in my head. The sooner spring comes, the sooner I can go outside and. Make clay tablets. To that end, I was exercising every morning in hopes of. Building up enough stamina to make going outside manageable. My family looked at me weird, but I knew that physical fitness was best. Accomplished bit by bit, day by day, with a lot of determination. Though to tell. The truth, as I had been exceedingly unhealthy in my Ureno days, I hardly knew. Any proper exercise routines. I was just winging it. Dad, is Otto there today? Yeah, I think so. Yay. I'll bring my slate to the gate, then. Now waiting at the gate's going to be fun. I hurriedly got my own things. Together, the most important thing being my stone slate. After bundling on layers and squeezing into my coat, I grabbed the wooden tote bag I had woven over the winter and put my stone slate into it, plus the slate. Pencil. Preparations complete. Let's go, Dad. Mine, you like Otto that much? Uh-huh, I really like him. I mean, he's my teacher, or so I've unilaterally decided, and he gave me this slate. How could I not like him? We left home and it took about half a second for me to realize the air itself was icy cold. Just a little bit of wind brushing my skin was enough to make me twinge with pain. My face was tingling so hard that even I, queen of all, Lazybones immediately began hatching a plan to turn Peru oil into some kind of moisturizing cream. Woof. So cold. Not to mention that the snow was so deep I couldn't walk in it. There may 
have been some trick to snow walking, but as I hadn't grown up in a snowy area, I had no idea what it was. It took exactly two steps for my stubby child legs to get stuck in the snow, rendering me immobile. My fate was sealed. My future, gone. I could only cry. Out into the void for help, hoping someone came to my rescue. Dad. How do you walk through snow? Enough already. Hold on tight and don't fall off. I was holding my arms out to maintain my balance, legs stuck in the snow, when Dad turned around and walked back with an exasperated expression on his face. He put my tote bag around his neck and stuck his hands beneath my arms, before lifting me up into the air and resting me on his shoulders. Woo! So tall. This is so cool. My line of sight shot up much higher than when Ralph carried me. The only reason the sudden height didn't terrify me was that dad's shoulders, thanks to his job as a soldier, were wide and muscular. I could rest on them without fear. Back in my Ureno days I had barely ever interacted with my father, but I did have a few memories of him. He did carry me once when we went to watch the Sakura trees bloom. Be sure to hold on tight, all right? It had been so long since someone carried me on their shoulders that my heart was beating a little fast. After I clung to his head, Dad started walking through the snow. The alley to the road hadn't been swept and thus he carefully traced the existing footsteps for a bit before reaching the main road and walking normally again. Mine, just so you know, Otto's already married, said Dad, breaking the Silence was something entirely unexpected. Um. What? Did I ever say I wanted to marry Otto? I don't think so. I've. Never said anything about marrying anyone, um. So? His wife is everything to him, alright? What exactly are you trying to stop your five-year-old daughter from doing? Even if I did like him in that way, he wouldn't give a five-year-old the time of. Day. You sure are being dumb, Dad. Regardless of realizing what my dad was thinking, I kept quiet. He was being a pain and I definitely wouldn't reward his petulant behavior with a your way. More amazing, Dad, or a I love you more, Dad. So you're saying that Otto's an amazing person, that's all about treating his wife well? No. That made Dad so sulky that he kept silent the rest of the way. And thus, upon the shoulders of the most tedious father in the world, I arrived. At the gate. Good morning. On instinct I bowed my head to the guards standing at the gate. They looked at me for a second, reminding me that bowing heads was not a customary greeting in this world. Or maybe they were just surprised to see me. On my dad's shoulders. This is mine, my daughter. My wife will come get her when she's done gathering peruse. Until then, keep her in the night watch's room, understood. Got that, mine? Otto should be there too. You're welcome. Oof. Dad sounds kinda peeved. Wait, is Dad so jealous that he's gonna be mean to Otto? Is this complex web of human relationships falling apart? Um, well, I'm just looking forward to Otto teaching me new letters. Why's it have to be Otto? Welp. 
Sorry, Otto. I tried backing you up, but I think I just made things worse. I don't know why dad has to get so jealous. I'm just looking forward to learning. It's at times like these that I realize I don't know too much about father-daughter relationships. I'm coming in. Dad gave a light knock on the door and walked in. The night watch's room had a brightly burning furnace and a lamp on the nearby deck, making it much brighter than our place. The desk was pretty close to the furnace and Otto was doing paperwork on it. Otto. Captain, and mine? What's the occasion? She's staying here until the Peru gathering is done. Keep an eye on her. Dad kept his instructions brief, arguably blunt, and set me onto the ground. The sudden addition of babysitting to his duties naturally surprised Otto, and he looked between Dad and his paperwork with a troubled expression. Huh? Air, but I'm busy with these financial reports, budget calculations, and mine. It's warm here. Make sure not to catch a cold. Dad laughed, ignoring Otto entirely. I waved him goodbye and turned to look at Otto. Sorry about this, Mr. Otto. It's just that, well, getting this slate made me really happy, and seeing you again. Today made me even happier. I'm glad to hear that. It's nice to see you too, mine, but, uh, Otto gave an awkward laugh and continued, but that's nothing to apologize for, right, with a puzzled expression. The truth is, I complimented you a lot in front of Dad, and he got really jealous. Aya. So, will you teach me new letters? I'll be quiet and stay out of your way. Until Mom comes to get me. I could tell from the parchment and ink on the table that he had been in the middle of paperwork. I didn't intend to get in the way of his work, but I also didn't intend to miss an opportunity to learn new letters. Well, all right. Somehow I get the feeling you actually will stay quiet and study, mine, murmured Otto as he took my slate and scribbled letters onto it. This world's writing system was similar to the English alphabet. There were no syllabaries like hiragana, nor logograms like kanji. The letters themselves determined the sound and meaning of words. Spelling was everything. Otto had faith in my willingness to study quietly since I had spent hours playing with the slate after he first gave it to me. Mine. We don't want you catching a cold and putting the captain in an even worse mood, so here, sit next to me. Otto gave a troubled smile and scooted a bit to the side, opening up more space by the furnace. I fully agreed with his assessment and sat next to him by the furnace without any unnecessary hesitation. Thank you. It'll be easier to study now. For a bit, the room was filled only with the sounds of a scraping slate pen, the roaring of burning fire, and an ink pen sliding across parchment, after I had Memorized the written letters, more or less, I looked up and saw Otto staring at the parchment in front of him, expression deadly serious as he did calculations. He did have an abacus-looking tool next to him, but I couldn't tell how it worked from a glance. Though in the first place I had only ever used an abacus, 
in elementary school when learning addition and subtraction, so even if it worked exactly like a Japanese abacus, I wouldn't know how to use it. I waited until he finished a section of the paperwork before calling out to him. Mr. Otto, what are you doing? Preparing financial reports and budgets. Over the winter we need to prepare a budget for next year and send it off before spring, but most soldiers aren't great at math. I'm the most used to dealing with money, so I'm writing up our financial reports and budget. So everyone just pushed the hard work on you, HM? I looked at the parchment, and although I couldn't read the words, there were three stacked numbers beside a line of text. If I had to guess, the first number was the price of something, the second number was how many of that something they needed, and the third number was the resulting amount of money. It looked like the first two numbers had been multiplied to get the third, so yeah. I looked over the parchment, considering the possibility of it being a request for new equipment when I spotted a math error. Wait. Mr. Otto, isn't this wrong? Wah. This is 75 and 30, right? I believe those actually make 2,250. Although I could read the numbers, I didn't know what they called multiplication in this world and thus had to be kind of vague in my explanation, but Otto seemed to understand me. Wait, what? How can you do math when you don't know how to read? Ehehe. My mom taught me numbers at the market. I can look at the numbers here and do math, but I can't read anything around them. After hearing that I couldn't read what was written on the parchment, Otto began thinking about something. I heard him muttering to himself, no, I shouldn't. But, back and forth. Mine, I'm going to swallow my pride too. Ask this. Would you please help me, um? Is this the kind of offer I should accept? I mean, putting aside all the Problems regarding classified information, isn't it pretty out there, to ask a kid for help? I guess he's in such a tight spot that he'd welcome the help of anyone who can do math, even a child? He said that he was swallowing his pride, so I can imagine that it isn't normal to ask kids for help. And I do want to help him if he's in that much trouble. Especially since I want something from him, too. This seems like the perfect place for some negotiating. Okay, I'll help, if you keep teaching me letters and get replacement slate. Pens for me. Wah. He probably hadn't expected a little girl to suddenly throw out. Conditions like that. His eyes opened wide. Smiling a little at his predictable reaction, I explained my situation. Like I said, I know my numbers since mom taught them to me but I don't know my letters. I want you to teach them all to me. I'm fine with that, but what's with the slate pens? They aren't that expensive, are they? Otto was right. They were sold all over the markets for cheap. Mom and Dad used to buy them for me, but now they won't, so why'd they stop? I play with the slate all day. No matter how many they buy, I always need more. Ahahaha. Hours of play a day was enough to wear out a slate pen in no time.
since I didn't get any allowance, one could say that getting a steady supply of slate pens was a matter of life or death. A anyway. The point is, I'm not a cheap enough girl to work for free. I think those are some pretty cheap terms, but alright. Otto gave a wry, smile and agreed to officially become my teacher. What should I do? Would you mind making sure the calculations here are correct? Basically, I don't know where the mistakes are, so checking over everything is taking up a lot of time. Apparently he was in the middle of checking paperwork someone else had made. It was obvious given that this world had no computers, but despite how long it took to make paperwork, the calculations written on that paperwork all had to be checked manually. I guess you guys need another soldier that can do math. That would be nice, but I only got hired in the first place, cause I can do this kind of stuff, so. It sounded like there were some deep circumstances behind Otto becoming a soldier. As someone starved for any sort of information, I was itching to ask for details right away, but our workload was so great I swallowed my curiosity and bottled it up for later. Mine, do you need the calculator? I don't even know how they work, so I'll just use my stone slate. The slate could easily work in place of scrap paper for calculations since everything written on it could be erased. I wrote down math on the slate and helped him with his double-checking work. The numbers of this world had completely entered my head and thinking about the number 9 was all it took for the proper symbol to appear in my mind. Writing them was no issue. Holy crap, that was easy. I'm impressed, mine, and I owe you big time. I never thought I'd finish all this double-checking work so soon. You know, mine, with math skills like that, you would be a great merchant. I can introduce you to the Merchant's Guild if you want. Otto had apparently been stuck handling all the financial paperwork himself for years, so he ended up extremely thankful for my help. I might want to start a bookstore once I learn how to mass-produce books. Getting a connection to the Merchant's Guild here may pay off big time. Plus, it looks like Otto's thinking of me as an important helper now. Perfect. Mine, if you really want to learn your letters, I'll take teaching you seriously. That way, you can help me with my written paperwork too next year. Really? Yay. Huh, is that something to be happy about? Otto blinked in surprise, but... Why wouldn't I be happy about him taking my learning seriously? I mean, helping with paperwork means touching parchment, right? It means... Writing letters with ink, right? That sounds amazing if you ask me. 